good to see you here at the five o'clock service. We're motoring through the book of James, um, and we'll be finishing the book of James in August. Uh, this morning, I was, uh, had the, the blessing. Colin asked me to preach this morning. Anybody at the 9-11 service this morning? Okay, a few of you. And I was uh, really speaking to the congregation about the importance of daily Bible reading. Not just reading for reading's sake, but coming to the Word of God every day, daily Bible reading, and saying, Lord, speak to me, shape to me, uh, shape me. And also of speaking in tongues on a daily basis. And so if you haven't seen that, you might, you might want to look at that on the media sometime. And I say that because one of the great things about the five o'clock service is that it allows us to go deeper into the Word of God over a longer amount of time than we can at other services. And so you can go up on our web page and go to the media page and scroll down to where it says series, and you can see all of the series that we've done at KT, not just the 5, but the 7, the 2.30, the 11. But we have done some great series at the 5 o'clock. Last month we did some excellent teaching week by week on the story of Christian missions from the church in the Acts of the Apostles right up to the task that's still there before us in taking missions to the world. We've, we spent a, two or three months in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we've looked at Galatians. We've looked at a series on Israel and the Bible. And, of course, we've been looking at James recently as well. And this is important because, and I, I do say this regularly, but it's important, and I know you know this, that's why you're here, but God didn't give us a textbook and call it the Bible where chapter one was creation, well, maybe it was, but chapter two, um, you know, uh, man, chapter three, everything God wants to say about the fall, chapter five on prayer, chapter, it's not systematic like that. Systematic theology or systematic teaching simply means to take a topic, So what does the Bible say about marriage? And if we had uh, a few weeks on that, we would look at what the Bible says. And that's great, and that's good. But also we have to accept that God gave us the Bible in many different forms and wants us to study them in those forms. And so when we come to the New Testament, we see epistles or letters. And God's word comes through the form of a letter. We looked earlier on in this series, and again, you can go to any of these up online free, and we looked at who James was, why did he write this letter, to whom all these things are important. But today, we find ourselves in James chapter 4, verse 1. But I'm going to back up and read some of the scriptures from last week when we came together, and we... And the topic there was wisdom from above and wisdom from below. So I'm going to read that so we can set the context in case you weren't here last week and then move into chapter 4. So starting in James chapter 3, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, 
willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Chapter 4, verse 1. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lost, you lost and you do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Well, this follows on from the teaching that we were looking at last week. And remember, the book of James is all about how to deal with the trials of life. The book of James doesn't tell you how to become a Christian, how to get saved. The book of James tells you how to live as a Christian and to face the trials and difficulties of life with dignity, faith, and spiritual wisdom. And if we look at James chapter 1, verse 19, um, a very important text, because this has been developed throughout the book of James, James says this, James 1, 19, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now, that is unpackaged throughout James. When we say swift to hear, not many Christians are swift to hear, especially Christian leaders. Christian leaders are swift to speak. I mean, I have found throughout my life that when you meet a Christian leader, often you can't get a word in edgewise. They're too busy telling you what they've learned, what they're doing, what they've... And that's good because you can learn. But James says be swift to hear, not swift to speak. And so he will talk about the word of God being a mirror to our soul and that we should listen to the word of God. We should be listening and reflecting on what God is saying and what others are saying too. Be swift, quick, run to hear. But then what does he say? He says, but be slow to speak. I would estimate that a third of your problems are directly related to your swiftness of speech. I don't know, I just plucked that out of the air. A third of your problems, that you speak too quickly, and that causes problems. You react too quickly. Be slow to speak. And we have been looking um, uh, two weeks, or oh, not two weeks ago, but when I took it up in chapter three, the whole of chapter three is speaking about the tongue, isn't it? It's a little thing. But like a rudder on a ship, like the bit on a horse, that tongue determines the course of your life and the direction of your life. So be slow to speak. But now where we're really at is the last part of that verse 18. Be slow to anger. 
slow to anger. And we, we looked earlier last week about the wisdom of God and how the wisdom of God, like the fruits of the Spirit, are totally counter to the way of the world. I mean, the world flows this way and God flows that way. They are totally opposites. And so the wisdom that comes from below is sensual, selfish, demonic, manipulative, um, assertive. Uh, but the wisdom that comes from above is not, not earthy, not sensual, not demonic. It is peaceful. It's pure. It's not biased. It's willing to yield. It's full of mercy and good fruits. And we discussed last week, well, people often think, well, if I do that, I'll never get my own way. But actually, if you put into practice the wisdom we spoke of last week, you'll be able to deal with issues head on. The fruit of the Spirit, being peaceable, gentle, kind, is not shying away from facing the obstacles and difficulties and difficult people of life and saying, okay, whatever you want. No, on the contrary. Uh, it is about facing these things, but facing them with the God style of wisdom. Enough about that. You can, read, you can watch that on the internet last week if you missed it. But this two types of wisdom, two types of dealing with trials, difficulties, difficult peoples, difficult situations, these two types of wisdom, if you do the wisdom from above, you'll get the fruit of peace in verse 18 of chapter 3. But now in verse 4, we see that the, many of the people that James is speaking to, they are operating the wisdom from below. They're not allowing the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, uh, long-suffering to come out of their lives. On the contrary, they are operating according to the works of the flesh. And so be slow to anger, or chapter 4 will take place. So when he speaks about wars and fights, he says, where do these wars and fights come from? We're talking about the struggles that people are involved in. We're talking about, in this particular situation, he's talking about wars and fights among believers. Incredible that he would put it in such stark. He says, there's fighting among you. There's, there's battles among you. Where does it come from? Have you ever thought about that? We're talking, like James, about the church. We're talking about believers and their fellowship. That's what we're focusing on, not outside the kingdom, inside the kingdom. And inside the kingdom, there are wars and fighting, or there can be. I wonder if you've been in, if you've been in the kingdom for any amount of time, I wonder if you've ever seen that believers battle with one another, accuse one another, get self-righteous with one another, judge one another, Reject one another. Be offended with one another. Gossip about one another. Do, do you think Christians ever gossip? Your reaction <laughs> says it all. Where do these things come from? Because if, if we want to deal with these things, because I tell you what, it's the devil's strategy. The devil wants to turn brother against brother, sister against sister. He wants infighting in the church because he knows if he can do that, he can stop us doing the job. But God wants us united together 
able to deal with situations and difficulties with the wisdom that comes above, which is peaceable, seeking unity, seeking peace, seeking to move forward so that we can go to the battle lines. I remember I was in prayer one time, and in prayer I just had a picture. I had a picture of a great battle line of the enemy, and it was the f- battlefront, the kingdom of God against the kingdom of darkness. And there they were, aligned in order, the, the, the troops of Satan. And in this dream, I saw the troops of God and how it was important for us to get to the battle line and engage with the enemy. But I saw that only a few believers were actually attacking the battle line of the enemy. And then when I looked to find out where the other believers were, they were fighting amongst themselves. (laughs) And while they were fighting among themselves, they weren't released and free to fight the enemy and to push the enemy back. So it is important for us to ask the question, well, where where does trouble come in the church? Where does trouble come in the cell group? As leaders and leaders of cells, and I can see some of you that are here today, we've got to think to ourselves, I need to help grow my cell members and mature them. And the last thing I want is wars and fights. Because if you've ever had a cell where there's been disagreement, it's awful, isn't it? I mean, just put Christianity, the gospel, world evangelism, breakthrough, just put it on hold for as long as the fighting takes place. Because no one's going to do anything for the kingdom. Everybody gets drawn in. You as a leader get sucked in trying to make it work. So where did it come from? Well, James tells us, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? That's a very interesting phrase. So in other words, he's saying, do they not come from your desires for pleasure? Now, we're not saying there are legitimate pleasures that we can have in life. Thank God. God's given them to us. But this is different. This is talking about flesh. It's, it's coming on what we just looked at last week about wisdom. This is people wanting, gram, gra- grabbing. Paul, uh, James said earlier, not Paul, James said earlier, if you have bitter envying in your heart... Self-seeking in your heart, verse 14 of chapter 3, do not lie against the truth. This is envy, desire, blocked goals that aren't from God, wanting this, wanting the other, and finding that people are blocking. And so what happens is you rise up and assert your will for your own gain. This is what wars are. It's one nation asserting itself against another nation or another nation asserting itself in defense of of itself. Your desires for pleasure, not desires for the kingdom, not desires for the extension of God's rule on earth, not desires for God, but desires for pleasure. In other words, what I want out of life. And these pleasures are not legitimate pleasures that it's talking about. I want status. I want recognition. We'll see later that the antidote to this is humility. God will say, humble yourselves to deal with this. So that means pride. Pride. God absolutely hates pride. You know, the church often goes on about this sin or that sin, and we're usually good at having a crack at anybody that falls into sexual sin, correct? I mean, the church hates sexual sin or anybody that falls into any category of it. 
And we think that God must hate that. But God hates most of all pride. Do you know that? But so often, people that are pride think God loves them the most. Because pride blinds. Pride is selfish. Pride, the, devil, the devil's sin was pride. He said, I will ascend the heights of God. I will become God. I, I, I. The exertion of I. Whereas Jesus, he was in heaven. He was the big I am. And he said, I will not hold on to my glory. I will not hold on to my position, but I will lay it down and come and serve humanity, yes, in obedience to my Father, even unto death. Now look, the pleasure that war in your members, what does it mean there in verse 1, to war in your members? Well, this is a reference to the flesh. Um, when we, if you look at, uh, at, at Galatians um, chap, chapter 5, uh, it speaks about the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. Now, when we talk about members, what's he talking about? It's a simple word for body, for your body. And in the book of Romans, Paul speaks about the sinful body, doesn't he? Who will deliver me from this body of weakness? Who will deliver me from this body? Now, what, is, what are they talking about, body? Well, this is what they're talking about. When we talk about the flesh, and I do a very strong study of this in my book on Galatians, No More Law, a big study on the flesh and the body of sin. Paul in Romans calls the body of Paul in Romans calls the flesh the body of sin. In Galatians, he calls the body of sin the flesh. They're the same thing. What does it mean? Well, it means this. First of all, it does not mean that your body is sinful. Your body's not sinful. It's just very, very weak. You see, you have been saved, you are being saved, and you shall be saved. Which part of you is saved? Your spirit, because you are born again. You're a new creation. Which part of you is being sanctified? It's your mind. It's your soul. Yeah, yeah. The renewal of the mind. You have been saved. Your spirit's perfect. You are being saved. God is sanctifying your mind. But you shall be saved. Which part of you is not saved in any way at all in any measure? Your body. Because one day, if Jesus tarries, we'll die. We'll die physically, not spiritually. And God will one day in the future raise up your body. And it will be not weak anymore. It will be the difference between the, an acorn seed being planted when your body's planted and an oak tree coming back at the resurrection. And sin will not be able to affect your body. But as it is, your body is weak. Not sinful, just weak. And so the passions, the passions of the flesh, anger, self, lusts, all these you can see in Galatians 5, these come from leg legitimate desires in your body and the devil trying, or sin, trying to push these to an extreme. So, for example, I don't want to go too into this because it's in my book on Galatians, I'm teaching on James, but so, for example, the Sexual desire, as God created it, sexual desire is not evil. It's not even neutral. As God created sexual desire, it is a wonderful gift of God. He created it, and he created it for marriage. Now, you, we have sexual desire, therefore, in our, our bodies. Our bodies have these desires. 
Now, what sin does is try to take that legitimate desire, sexual desire that is legitimate and legitimate in marriage, and the, de- and the sin tries to come and push that desire to an extreme so that it has a handle on you, so that it oppresses you. You hear what I'm saying? And you know how many people in this world are oppressed by sexual desires, illegitimate. How many people are in bondage? How many people have got their lives into a mess because sexual desire was blown out of proportion? Do you hear what I'm saying? Nothing wrong with it. Nothing wrong with with appetite. Appetite for food. But that can, again, sin can get hold of that and cause that to be greed. There's nothing wrong with the desire for comfort. But the, the, but the desire for comfort can be pushed to an extreme. All these desires are not wrong in themselves. It's part of who we are in our body, our desires. But sin tries to push them to an extreme. And so here when he says, do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? He's talking about sin just through the weakness of your body, trying to inflame passions beyond what God gave them for to try and cause you to to run after things that are inappropriate for the Christian life and that will bring you in bondage. And so what was happening in these lives? Where are they fighting? Why are they arguing? Because these desires were getting out of control. Desire to be the best. Desire to, for, for, for money. Desire for food. Desire for this and that and the other. And these things, these desires of the world, and they were fighting over it. I want to be the leader. I want to be the senior pastor. I want the money. I want to be on the platform. I want to be on the stage. I want to be heard. I want to, I want to, I want to. I want all these things. And, and I'm going to fight to get them. So, these are physical bodily desires that get out of control. Desires of our life that can only really be met in Christ. Now, these bodily, these bodily weaknesses are counted in our life by the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit. Those that walk by the Spirit will not carry out the desires of the flesh. And so the Word and the Spirit, you see, if we apply the wisdom that I was speaking about last week to our life, what will happen? If you apply the wisdom of God and the Word of God, it has a countering effect. You see, they were, they were fighting with one another Because what they were doing was they were letting the war inside them come out of them and affect everybody else. The war within uh, within their lives became expressed amongst one another. You lust and you do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. They come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members. Now, this is where the battle has to be won in our lives. It has to be won on the inside. Don't let the battle out, because if you let the battle out, you'll bring everybody else into your battle. What I'm saying is this. You have to contain the battle and win it on the inside. I gave you some examples last week about situations that I've been in. And I've made many, many mistakes. I was just talking about, you know, but... You don't want to hear about those, do you? Yes. (laughs) But I was telling you about some of the things where I had applied godly wisdom in situations in people where actually I wanted to rise up and assert, you know, fear. Fear, I was losing control. Grab, assert, dominate. You know, someone spoke to me in a different way. Hit back, hit back harder. 
and all these things. And I spoke that what happens first in these scenarios is before you make your decision, before pure water comes out of your mouth, or bitter water, before peaceable actions come out, or antagonistic actions, there's a battle within. You have to pray it through. You have to go to God for his word and wisdom on this. And remember, anybody asks for wisdom and is open for it, you'll get it. And so inside you, there's a situation you face, and part of you wants to do it according to the wisdom that is sensual, earthly. You want to do it the world's way. You know what I'm talking about? Part of you wants to dominate, rise up, destroy there. And that's there, and that's in you. It's the flesh. It's sin through your weak body. Get up, do it. But there's another part of you that says, no, do it God's way. Do it God's way. Whatever the cost, do it God's way. Ask for the mind of the Spirit. What does the Word say about this? Get some wisdom. And you've got these. Now, what, what happens is, you, go, you take it to the Lord in prayer and in the Word, and you have to deal with it behind the scenes. You, you deal with the situation before God, before you deal with it in the earth. Spiritual things first. So sometimes, that's why you have to be slow to speak. Because you've got to make sure that you're in control of your mouth. Because if this war is going on and you're not winning the war, what's going to come out of your mouth? You ever said something you wish you hadn't said? Keep quiet. Keep quiet until the wisdom... I'm not saying you won't be perfect, but I'm saying keep quiet. Wait, wait. Wait till you've dealt with it. God will always give you space. Always give you space to win the battle and to apply the wisdom. And then what happens is, when you've, when, when you've gone to the Spirit, and when you've dealt with all your emotions, and you don't suppress your emotions. That's, you, emotions are not wrong. They're just indicators of what's going on in your life. But you don't want to act on emotion. You want to act by the Spirit and the Word. And then when you get God's Word, get God's wisdom, you set yourself for victory. You set your mind for victory. You set yourself for victory, and you say, I will not... Do it that way. God has spoken to me a word or a rhema or shown me in the scriptures or I feel the Holy Spirit or I've just prayed it through. I've prayed it through. I've taken it to the Lord and I'm trusting that when I come to that situation, wisdom will be granted me. We've looked at how God brings wisdom earlier on in this series. You see, you won the battle on, on the inside and it won't spill out on the outside. No, what will come is like James said earlier, uh, how can you bless and curse? How can you do it? Because either pure water is going to come out of your mouth or bitter. You can't mix them together. If you do, it'll just be bitterness. And so you win the battle that is in our lives. We do face these battles. And when we face trials, that's when these things come up. When everything's okay, we're not facing anything, and everyone's being nice, you, you feel as holy as Jesus. Everything's great. Everything's going my way. And then somebody starts being a bit nasty to you. Or some circumstance comes, and then your flesh rises up, the battle begins. Do they not come from the desires for pleasure that war in your members? But when you've dealt with it on the inside, then what comes out is a wisdom that is peaceable. A wisdom, you've been humble before God, and now God will take you through that situation. You walk by faith, not by sight. But if you don't deal with these things before God, the anger we're talking about here, and all this is anger, battles, wars, fights, anger. Be slow to anger because you have to deal with that anger. You don't deny anger. 
You can't deny anger. You can't bury anger. Do you know that? If you're anger and you say, well, bless God, I'm just going to go on. You can't deny anger. You have to take it to the Lord and say, help me work this through. And sometimes it doesn't take an hour. It takes a couple of days or over a few weeks. But every time it comes, you take it to the Lord. Give me wisdom. Help me, Lord. Let me see that, that actually this situation is in your hands. I don't need Mr. Angry or Mrs. Angry to come and help. I've got the Lord. And you have to keep working that through. But you will get the victory in God's time. You lust and you do not have. You murder and covet. Murder? What do they mean by murder? Does, did James actually mean that believers were physically murdering one another? No, he didn't mean that. But, but in 1 John chapter 3.15, we see what he's talking about. 1 John chapter 3.15 says, Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. John 3, what, 1 John 3.15. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And with these battles and wars, there was hatred going on. This isn't physical murder, although hate can end up there. But this is, this is when Jesus says, you know, um, that you, you have heard it said, do not commit murder. But I say that any one of you that hates somebody in their hearts already committed it. You see what I'm saying? Now, what is murder? Well, murder, basically, the object of murder is to remove the person out of your reach. That's what, that's what murder does. Almost saying, I wish he or she was dead. I don't care where they are, just not here. You know, you might not wish them physically dead, do you hear what I'm saying? But you want them out of your sphere of operation. You want them out of the company. You want them out of the cell group. Or perhaps if, if you can't see that they're going to leave the cell group, then you'll leave the cell group or the church or the, or the company yourself. Do you hear what I'm saying? Because that person will be as dead to you. Now, this is talking about the fact that what we need to do is not murder, not say I want this person removed so that I can have what they, they have got or, or, or move forward without them hindering. It says you fight in war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. That's very important in verse 3. You don't have because you don't ask. Why don't you ask? You don't ask because you want to fulfill your desires without God. You're doing it the world way. It's a rat race out there. Everybody's trying to do it without God in the world. With ungodly, manipulative skills to get what they want. Without God. And these, they were trying to get what they wanted without God. You say, do Christians do that? All the time. I mean, look at Abraham. He tried to get his son without God and ended up with an Ishmael. Remember Jacob. Jacob was promised that he would inherit, but he tried to inherit without God. He put hairy uh, garments on his hands, put on his brother, um, brother's aftershave, which was, which was stinky, and went and fooled his father to get the blessing. Was that God's way? Was that God's wisdom? No, it wasn't. He tried to get even what God had promised by other means, and he paid for years for that he paid. He ended up being with Laban, who was twice the twister that Jacob was. You see, even what he wanted and what God had promised, he tried to get by the wrong means. He didn't use the wisdom of God, and that caused all manner of problems. 
You don't have because you don't ask. In a situation, we need to go to God in petition, ask him for his will, ask him for his wisdom, ask him for... Our lives are not in the hands of anybody else. Do you know that? Your hand is in... Your life is in the hand of God. And I don't mean ultimately in the hand of God. God is... My, is at work minutely in your life. My, he doesn't just sort of like, oh, well, you, you keep on going. I've got big things to do, and let me know when it gets tough. And like, oh, what has happened here? I turn my back, you know, with little kids. Mum says, right, go and play nicely. I'm just going to be back. I'm just popping to the kitchen. Goes with it. All hell's breaking loose. She comes back. Oh, my goodness. I turn my back on you for one moment, and look what happens. God's not like that. God doesn't turn his back on you for one moment. Even if you turn your back on God, he doesn't turn his back on you. It's, it's not his nature. He is intimately at work. And the trials and the tests and the difficulties that come, that's God's way of growing you strong. I mean, the very things that tempt you to do it the world ways are the very things that God's going to give you victory in if you go his way. I mean, it can't get much worse than Job, and Job's in the end of, of um, James chapter 5. can't get mo- worse than Job. I mean, he faces tremendous satanic activity, destruction in his family, betrayal from his friends, accusation from his friends, sickness. I mean, everything all rolled up and thrown at Job. He had everything, he lost everything. Not just lost everything in zero, became a minus. He was, his, even his wife said, curse God and die. I mean, great advice. Is that wisdom from above? And it was tough, but it was God's method of getting him through to victory. Now, don't think that I'm saying, you know, go out and seek terrible events. It's not like that. I'm just saying that even in the worst case scenario, God is totally and utterly in control. He said to the devil, this you can do, that you can do, but you can't do this. You can't take his life. God always gives us the boundaries of what we can face. He'll never, ever put us in a situation that we can't handle with him, even though it might feel it at the time. God is in control. You ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. The word spend is of using money. And so the idea here is that that they're not thinking about God or higher things. They're simply thinking about Meeting their pleasures. Gimme, gimme, gimme. Gimme, gimme, gimme. Gimme a new girlfriend. Gimme a new car. Gimme this. Gimme that. Gimme the other. Gimme, gimme, gimme. Like spoil. Gimme, gimme. I want this. I want that. I want. They're not even thinking about kingdom things, but they're totally materialistic in their view of life. Gimme, gimme, gimme. There's a lot of Christians in the Western world that are like that. In fact, there's a lot of preachers that preach the gimme, gimme, gimme. They preach very little about sacrifice. They'd never go through James. They wouldn't know how to handle James. That tells you that if you're rich, you better be careful. And if you're poor, you're you're heading for blessing. They can't can't cope with it. They can't cope with it. Because they're gimme, gimme, gimme all the time. And then people people hear the message. And the carnal pleasure-seeking part of them makes them turn on that TV show. Makes them go to that conference, makes them even attend that church, because they sit there, and they say, gimme, 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 and the preacher says, you can have, you can have, you can have, and that is the depth of the spirituality that they experience. No wonder they end up fighting. 
backsliding, committing all manner of sin. Because when you preach a carnal gospel, you get a carnal people. We believe in prosperity. I believe God wants to bless you. God has blessed me with cars in the past. But you see, it's not that, that's an aside. Do you see what I'm saying? Seek first the kingdom of God, and these things will come along, and you'll be blessed and you can enjoy them. But this is, but actually, a lot of the preaching today in the Western world is um, seek first all these added things. In fact, don't let them be added. Make them the center. Oh, and the kingdom of God, he'll sort them out. God will sort the kingdom of God out. Seek the things that the Gentiles seek after. Seek those, and God will sort out the kingdom. No. Seek the kingdom, and God will sort out your needs. And uh, he's a good father, and he won't just give you what you need. Sometimes he gives you that extra blessing. Sometimes he knows just what to give, the presence to give his children. Isn't that right? So I'm trying to balance myself um, here. Adulterers and adulteresses, you do not, don't you know that friendship with the world is enemy with God? Therefore, whoever wants to be a friend of the world makes him the, himself an enemy of God. Earlier on in James, we looked at Abraham and we looked at Rahab the prostitute in, Jer- in, Jer- in uh, Jericho. And we saw how both of them, who were believers, they put their faith to work, didn't they? Into the situation they found themselves in. And out of that, James says, Abraham was called the friend of God. When we put our faith to work, when we begin to open ourselves to the wisdom from above, when we begin to win the battle on the inside without letting it spill out on the outside and wound others, when we begin to put James into practice in our daily life and we're, slow, we're quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, when we put these principles about the tongue into operation, when we understand about trials and how to, how to consider it all joy, all of which we've gone through, when we begin to do these things, we become friends of God. Not just children of God, but friends of God. You see, you can be a child of someone, but not their friends. You can have a mother or father, but you might say, but I got, yes, I have a mother that's still alive, a father that's still alive, but, you know, we don't really get on. It happens, doesn't it? You're still their child, but you don't get on. You're not friends. It's wonderful when you are friends, and we should seek to be friends with our children as they grow and our parents. But, but you can be a child of God and not his friend. Because a friend to somebody, a friend represents those that they're friendly with. A friend. And so to be called a friend of God is a specifically precious and special honor. And you can have benefits of being a child, but I tell you what, there's great benefits of being a friend. I remember as a child growing up in Yorkshire... And um, for a, a couple of years, my father was ill in hospital most of those two years. And during that time, we had a village football team, and a very close friend of mine was the son, uh, and there's a couple of sons, of this father who was the football manager. And during that period, we became great friends. He looked out for me, I guess, not having a dad around during that time. But we became very good friends. 
And it was strange to see, and actually at times it was a little, there was a little bit of tension between me and his two sons, nothing verbal, but it was there. And there's times when I knew I better step back because I didn't want to cause war. Why? Because they were his sons, but they didn't get on that well. But I was his friend. Do you hear what I'm saying? And the benefits of that friendship, well, they're, they're, still, they're still in me with me today. Do, do you know what I'm talking about? Do you get something? Yeah. So here he says... Whoever wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So we've got two types of people in James. We've got friends of God and friends of the world. And these children of God in chapter 4, they were becoming friends of the world. And because they were becoming friends of the world, what they were doing was displeasing their father in heaven. In fact, they were acting as if they were an enemy. It can happen, can't it, in families... Children can fall out with their parents and vice versa. Uh, children can fall out with one another and sometimes very seriously. It's, it's funny how it can all be papered over until a funeral or a wedding comes by. Isn't it right? When I go and take a funeral, I'm not concerned about the dead person, especially if they're a Christian. I'm concerned about the living people because I've been to enough funerals where you know, I'm sitting down and saying, oh, pastor, you've got to know what's happened in the family. And it's like, and everybody's treading on eggs. And, and sometimes that can be a great reconciliation. But sometimes they can be fighting over the grave of the person that died. Especially if there's a bit of money involved, correct? Now, now God, that is, in the family, God's still our father. But we, we can cease to have that friendship. So how do we... Deal with it. What is, I mean, this is, this is people fighting against one another. What does Paul say? How do you fix it? How do you turn it around? Well, he says this. He says, you know, you make yourself an enemy of God. He's really hitting them hard, isn't he? But then he says, or oh, do you think that the scripture is in vain? The spirit who dwells in us yearns jealousy, jealously. See, the Holy Spirit is in you, yearning, desiring. When we talk about the works of the flesh in Galatians 5 and the fruit of the Spirit, it says the flesh wars against the Spirit. And that Spirit is the Holy Spirit. And the flesh desires and the Holy Spirit desires. And these desires are against one another, you see. Why? Because the Holy Spirit has deep longings and deep desires. I mean, we all know what it is, well, maybe you don't, but I do, to be carried by the desires of the flesh, yes? To be carried along by those desires, the anger, the desire, the lust, whatever it might be in that catalogue of the flesh. To be, oh, they can be so strong sometimes. But you know, the Holy Spirit's desires are even stronger. I mean, he is jealous inside. I mean, he has strong desires and a strong will for how we should operate and how we should go and how we should treat one another and how we should react. And he has strong, burning desires inside us about how to live our lives. I mean, I won't turn to it because of time, but you, 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 might, you might want to turn to um, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, that says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. And then 31 and 32 talks about the things that grieves the Holy Spirit. Bitterness, what we've been talking about in James. Anger, wrath, 
Um, loud quarreling, it's all here, Ephesians 4.31. Evil speaking, malice, all the things that James has been speaking about. In Ephesians it says, this grieves the Holy Spirit. In 32 it says, what's the Holy Spirit looking for? Kindness, tender-hearted, forgiving. Look, being kind, tender-hearted and forgiving does not mean that you don't deal with the issues head-on. On the contrary, on the contrary. You deal with the issues head on. You don't dodge the issues. You don't dodge the trial. You deal with the trial, but you deal with it spiritually and according to God's will. You, you, don't, you, don't, you don't let... So, it's not about letting someone trample all over you, unless God says to do that. It's about dealing with the situation like a man or woman of God. And most of that will be done not with the individual, but it'll be done before the throne of God. And then he says but he gives more grace. Aren't you glad there's more grace? I mean, even these people, I hope none of you are like these, but even if you were, the message is grace. They're murdering each other's character, they're fighting, they're arguing, they're warring, they're sensual, they're demonic, but, but he still has a message. There's more grace. And how will this grace flow? God resists the proud. You can bet it. Oh, he... he God, I mean, God, if you are proud, God gets stony-faced with you. I mean, he resists. I mean, if you're proud, you're a resistant. You're asserting yourself. And God, behind the scenes, he begins to resist you. He begins to push back. He begins to stop you. And God, I mean, I don't want God to resist me. But if you're proud, God will be right on your case, giving you a good hiding. And he will resist you. He will oppose you. Or even his child, yes. He will oppose, resist, prevent, and eventually prevail. So what's the key? He gives grace to the humble. So what shall we do as I close? Submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee through you. When we say resist, uh, submit to God, what are we talking about? Because this verse is often used in charismatic Pentecostal circles. Res uh, submit to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee for you. Amen. Off you go, Satan. Yeah, but we've just read four chapters of James telling us and teaching us what submission to God is. You don't just pluck a scripture out and go, submit to God. What does that mean? It means everything that we have been learning about trials, about speaking, about treating one another, about the way that we deal with poor people and people that we think we can get something from because they're rich or influential. We're talking about putting our faith to work, our attitudes to God, our wisdom, the way we deal with things, all of these things up here into chapter 4, right up to that point, we, we're talking about that, and it says if we do these things, or begin to put these things into operation, we will be able to submit to God, and guess what? The devil will flee from you. You, you, you start using the weapons, if I can put it that way, the weapons of peace, kindness, long-suffering, prayer, the wisdom from above. You start using those weapons, and you can say to the devil, off! And he will flee from you. You start using the weapons of aggression, anger, manipulation, gossip. And although you think they are powerful weapons, 
the devil is saying, giving me more power, are you? Keep it coming. And you say, get off, devil. He says, no way. On, on the contrary, I'm not going to run from you. I'm going to run to you. If you are operating in the flesh like flies to rubbish, the devil will come and, and start his work. And on that encouraging statement, we close today. God bless you all.